Welcome to Talking About All Things Inclusion, a podcast where I get to meet and learn from people in the field of inclusion in its broadest sense that inspire me. I hope they'll inspire you too. Today, I'm talking with Gina Hayupas, whose traditional Nuchanult First Nation name is Powats Kachilt. I hope I pronounced that properly. It's Poa for short. Gina continuously strives to find balance between her Indigenous roots and the modern education system. Her art is one medium in which she navigates this for herself and with her learners. As a knowledge keeper and sharer, Gina strongly believes in reviving and restoring Indigenous people's language for future generations and works to find creative ways to keep members of these communities engaged in learning and changing. As a residential school survivor, Gina is not defined by her past trauma or the present challenges of her educational goals but strives for a life of language living through art. Gina, we first met through a leadership course about reflective practice. I was there to teach, but in actual fact, I think I learned more from you and your peers. Your openness and willingness to share your indigenous culture and past with me, to invite and answer my often not completely formed questions, gave me a whole new perspective on bias and racism that honestly, hadn't entered my consciousness until we had those conversations. And that is why I am so delighted to be catching up with you again today, to speak with you more about your Indigenous roots, how we can authentically address bias towards Indigenous people, and your role as a knowledge keeper. Perfect. Thank you for making space for me today. I just want to take time to ground our conversation by introducing myself in our traditional language. Seat uh, Yaks, Gina Pawa Hayupis, which means I'm Gina Pawa Hayupis. Uklasish Pawatskwichith, which means my traditional name is Pawatskwichith, which loosely translates to Eagle Leaving the Big Nest. Histakshith Heshkwiat, which means I come from Heshkwit. Heshkwit Aksups means I'm a Heshkwit woman and I come from the Himayi Saksup. So I'm a woman from the Himayis house. Um, I am currently in the land of Tsuma'as, which is in Port Alberni. Aklanaka Me'ilkats means I have two boys, which is one of the biggest reasons why I do what I do in my life is because I want to make a difference for my children. Thank you so much for Gina. And, and thank you for giving that traditional um, welcome here. Um, Gina, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background? What is a knowledge keeper and what inspired you to take on this role? Um, well, I feel like I am a really privileged woman because I come from a very broad range of a background where my journey started back home in uh, in a house at which where which is where my grandfather's roots are from. Um, I had a really quite a range of historical knowledge from my great grandparents to my grandparents and their adversity over the trials and tribulations of colonization and you know two hundred years of colonization impact. In the first part of my life, I grew up in residential school for maybe like a year and a half, two and a half years. And um, so that was kind of where uh, we got disconnected from our land and uh, we were all relocated. So me and my siblings were all separated 
uh, from the time of uh, residential school. So we never actually came back together until I actually had my, my older son. So um, he was probably about four years old where I kind of sort of had more of a reunification where we started coming together with my siblings for the first time. We kind of sort of knew of each other all along and we kind of bounced in and out of each other's lives. And, you know, I didn't really realize that this wasn't a normal way of living life, that this is like an abnormal way of life for people to live. Like I didn't really, you know, I kind of bounced around in uh, foster homes and then I ended up in my uncle's uh, home. And so uh, he fostered me for several years until I kind of, you know, just kind of ended up like, you know, living the darker edges of kind of drug addiction and alcohol. And then when I had my first son, that kind of made me realize that I needed to get more out of my life and I needed to apply my life skills to uh, making a difference for my son because I didn't want my son to live the life of violence and alcoholism and drug addiction. And it wasn't until I was actually 43 years old that well I'm 43 now but I never realized that this is not a normal way that people grew up like people didn't grow up in residential schools people actually had nuclear families where they had a mom and a dad two parents or whatever you know and like you know people didn't bounce around and you know go through all of this trauma like and trauma isn't something an everyday lifestyle for people so I realized that I wanted to make a difference for my children. And, you know, in that knowing and, you know, observing the way of the life of our Indigenous people, you know, I realized that I wanted to make a difference by going back to school. So I went back to school. I immediately started upgrading. And that was with the help with the Hahopiak um, Adult Ed, which was up here on the reserve in Port Alberni. And uh, so here um, they helped me get into university and they were, they were really encouraging. They're like, you're so intelligent, like you should go further with your education and like really, really do something with your life. And I never ever really believed in myself because that wasn't kind of the lifestyle or the thought pattern that I had grown up with. And so having somebody come into your life and tell you you're intelligent when you don't really feel intelligent is really kind of something that is kind of an internal conflict. And so as I was going through the years at um, Malaspina at that time, which is now VIU over in Nanaimo, I had to disconnect myself from my family. I had to leave everybody. I had to leave everything that I knew, all of my culture, all of my tradition, all of my family networks, my social networks, like everything that make me who I was and I went to university which was really challenging and I was there in the city almost by myself and so I started recruiting people my sister came to university after me and then my other sister had came over to university and so there were two of three of us in university up at Malaspina and then um, my foster mom came over too and so we kind of all kind of figured a way out and stuff like that. My aunt had moved to Nanaimo and she was in charge of watching my children while I went to school. 
And then I had a problem with my heart and then I stopped uh, going to university right in the last semester. So I didn't actually complete my degree. So with the little bit of education that I had, you know, I kind of got into being into social work and I did that for 12 years, which is really challenging because you're on the ground in the womb of communities, seeing all the social issues of alcohol, drugs, um, violence, and, you know, watching people's children get taken away and, and their struggle to get their children back from the government. And like, you start seeing how fast life is and how challenging it is. And so to me, it was at that point where I was looking at all of these times in my life and like just this whole entire thing of reflection back to my life, thinking I did not, um, I'm not in the right place at the right time. You know, watching Indigenous people thinking that, you know, this is the rite of passage was at 19 to go and apply for social assistance that that's not a regular thing for people to, to do, you know? And I needed to make a change. And so I needed to get to the source of the problem quicker. And so what I did was I shifted my practice. I started bringing in um, more educational and training programs and like started asking the community what they wanted to do. and you know, really started harnessing this relationship with the community, with the elders. What did the elders want to see for their children and for the youth of the community? And how to build this relationship between the youth and the elders at the same time. And so I thought at this point in time, I had had a massive breakdown. Like I had like several people die at the same time and stuff. And so my life changed really drastically. And so when I was kind of in this pit of sorrow at the very bottom of my barrel, I got asked to go and work in the education field. And it was supposed to be a three-day job, which turned into a two-day job, which turned into six months. And then here I am like five years later, like totally loving every single thing that I'm doing. And I realized that at this point in time, that this is where I needed to be. And I needed to apply all of those skills that I had from my life, my life experience, you know, living on the land and, you know, with getting to know our traditional medicines and with what little exposure I had to my traditional language. And so it really shifted when my youngest son got into Hahopiak school is when uh, he, he was the person who brought language back to me. You know, and he was the one that was going through all of the culture at the school. They were singing and dancing at the school and watching his little life really fill up with light. You know, watching that culture and watching the songs light him up and watching his, his um, intelligence grow, you know, with learning the language and stuff. And, you know, he soon got me attracted to language. And that relationship with me and him really harnessed over a certain period of time. And I then started going to university to start taking back my language, which is kind of the whole full circle 360 where education 
took away my language. And then, you know, coming back to university and having my language be restored. And so now it's kind of, now it's part of my job of who I am. So I think that's really a neat experience. Thank you, so, Gina, there's so much there. Um, and what I, what I noticed while you were talking is that impact is, is so important to, to our lives. And you started talking about the impact of colonization on Indigenous peoples and on First Nations, and then brought it to yourself. But you ended with the positive impact of an education system that took away something from you and then returned it to you. And everything that you're talking about there is that reunification and that engagement and relationship with yourself, your family and your community. Is that where your role of knowledge keeper came from? This, this association with impact and unification, whether it be negative impact or positive impact? I would think a big part of that too, like is like having children who are taken away from their communities, that disconnection and the relocation of children, you know, not having the ability to grow up on their land and really feel the rhythms of the land and have that direct impact the connections that would have naturally evolved with the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles. You know, the aunts and the uncles played a huge role in raising our children that moms and dads weren't really the ones that were raising their children because the aunts and the uncles would take the opportunity to watch over you and harness skills that you exposed, right? Like if you were really good at carving, for example, like myself, I'm good at art. Um, you know, being an Indigenous artist and, you know, having that exposure. Um, I feel like I use those skills in the education system. You know, at this time of uh, reconciliation, truth and reconciliation, we have this huge demand, of this huge resurgence. And it's not just language revitalization, it's the whole resurgence of cultural protocol that comes with that relationship you know and we have to create a generation of people who are strong in their cultural identity and you know showing our youth today that we should be proud of where we come from and these are like courage stories that our people have been denied right like they never got to celebrate that they survived this massive amount of trauma and I think that this is going to be an incredible story that when we raise a generation knowing who they are and where their grandparents come from you know there's going to be a huge shift in the next 10 years of what is the fallout of our hard work that we're doing for truth and reconciliation so th this role um of a knowledge keeper and I'll ask you to explain what knowledge keeper means in a moment but that role is actually part of that journey to inclusion really um, if I'm hearing you correctly that it is giving pride back to the next generation um, and that pride is then celebrated which then forms part of building inclusion in, in schools and on your reservations and in Canadian society in general. Mm -hmm. 
Um, a big part of being a knowledge keeper, a big part of that role, um, I feel for myself, and I can't speak for all of the Indigenous people in Canada or even in my family, for example, if I'm just looking directly at my family, um, my responsibility to my nieces and my nephews and my grandchildren that are not like, you know, and like, and all of those people inside of that, like, knowledge keeper in my education system, in my direct society here in Port Alberni. And that whole building that inclusion because uh, an indigenous worldview, that paradigm, that pedagogy of living on the land, everybody can benefit from that with their mental health and their physical health and um, like really feeling space to have emotions. And I feel like being a knowledge keeper kind of restores that voice that has been taken away from us for the last 200 years from the time of, you know, the Indian Act coming to say that you can no longer do all of these things and with a potlatch ban and all of that, those things that have come and stripped our identity away from us. And so being a knowledge keeper in the education system kind of builds that inclusion and invites people into this conversation to say, I'm a safe person for you to talk to. Come and talk to me if you want to have any kind of questions that you feel uncomfortable about. And let's build up that confidence that you have more knowledge. Then you can make better decisions because you have a better uh, knowledge base of, you know, the impact of colonization. And so that whole pride and identity is a restorative measure for our youth, but not just our youth. Our youth today are literally the core of our communities and that impact of building our youth up in education systems with the cultural resurgence of cultural protocol and that exposure in the school system right now is restoring the identity of their parents and their grandparents. Now our, our people are in a safer space of inclusion that they can share these stories and they can come out from the shadows and not have to hide anymore. So, you know, it's really building that bridge from a dark history, you know, and coming into where we are today and inviting people into the light and saying, hey, we're safe now, let's share our stories and, you know, really build up a community of understanding and compassion and what I like there and I hadn't thought about it this way before is that when you talked about impact so I was thinking in terms of impact for future generations but actually it's also having a positive impact on your elders and on previous generations so on the parents and the grandparents of the youth as well um, yeah. which it's it's a it's an amazing journey to be a part of but it it sounds like a very difficult and challenging journey and you did mention trauma um, a couple of times and I know from previous conversations that I had that you actually work with some of the youth in addressing trauma through your art and I wish people could actually see and um, we're on zoom now and I wish they could see all the amazing art in the background behind you but you're using your art to help your your youth build this knowledge and transverse is a correct say indigenous language um, as part of this education system that they're going through 
Mm -hmm. Well, I like to use um, like, it's kind of a transformative therapy. You know, I feel like it's transformative in the way that it gives people space to be their own person. And it's really hard to invite people in to tell you what to do and show you how to do it. And, you know, and like really having the space to make a mistake and say, hey, it's okay if you make a mistake here in this art right now, because I can show you how to fix that. And so it really alleviates that fear of making mistakes where those things, you know, were punishable before. And I think that all across the world, you know, we're coming out of a disciplinarian era in all the world, not just residential school survivors or Canadian or Indigenous people. I think that, you know, coming out of the trauma of the world wars and Vietnam and all of that, that everybody has trauma. And a lot of people need to feel that safety and that inclusion to step forward. And, you know, it's really a transformative thing for people to start thinking in a different way. And art has that way to open up the, that paradigm of seeing the world in a different way where, you know, it's okay to mis make mistakes. Whereas you're doing math and you make a mistake, it's just wrong, right? Like two plus yeah. two does not equal five, right? So like those kind of things are really kind of an, and, and it creates that relationship and trust and rapport and you know it makes that, that everlasting impact with those students that I've worked with in the past where you know they may be 12 13 14 years old and they'll see me on the street and I'm, I'm still their friend and I'll probably be their friend until I'm an old lady you know like granny's sitting on the rocking chair on the porch and like still waving at these kids you know I yeah. think that's that's who I am but it's it's really um, supporting them to build their resilience, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. just that sentence you said, it's okay to make mistakes and I can show you how to fix it. You're, you're actually modeling the, the calmness, the okay, the let's go back and think about it again um, that they can bring even to the math class. So yes, two plus two doesn't equal five, but they can actually bring that calmness and that okay let's go back and see where I can make a change and then that goes out into society as well mm. and making mistakes is a really big kind of thing that people have you know just getting a slap on the wrist or whatever like that that used to happen in the, in the old days um I think that just having that gentle approach and um, it's it's inviting people in to take the same approach where, you know, we already have anxiety, we already have panic attacks, you know, and I think our students and people in general need to find out that we all learn in different ways. And that's the whole UDL thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. is everybody learns in different ways and our jobs as as Indigenous educators, and my, my job as an Indigenous educator is to be a, a mirror, to open up that window for people to see themselves in a different light. And then that way they can see their own strengths, their own weaknesses. And even in their own weaknesses, they can take those weaknesses and develop that and then make it a strength as well too. So it's just areas of growth. It's not even a weakness. 
Yeah. And you've you've actually used the phrase inviting people in a couple of times there. And when you when you started this part of the conversation, I was thinking feedback and I was thinking like what a positive way that Gina is 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 giving feedback to our students. It's very safe. It's very it's it's very let's work through this together. But actually, when you turn it into inviting people in, it makes it much more relationship built doesn't it It, there's a big difference and I know you and I had a conversation in the past where you had very negative connotations on the word feedback because of your past does that Mm -hmm. build into this concept of inviting people in yes um I would think that because I've been raised with a heavy hand right and I've I've um I've found a way to make people or not really make them but kind of encourage people to learn that you know um we all have a different way to see the world and it's not fixed everything's fluid everything's constantly moving and you know it's not my job to go out and walk in front of everybody but I can walk alongside of them you know and you know just guide them through this process and think that you know you know even my own children for example you know when my son brings home a report card that, you know, he's not very studious in education, but he, he works really hard and, you know, and he can come home with a, a really bad report card and he sits there and he's freaking out because he's got C pluses and he wants to have the A's on there because he likes the A's and the B's on there. And it was like the whole feedback thing, you know, he looks at the, com- he looks at the comments and the teacher is saying, Ray works really hard and, you know, and, and, you know, he's a, he's a good person and he'll go around the classroom and help other people out. And so that's my feedback. That's my report card that I want to see is that my son is living that example in his daily life that, you know, he's making sure that he's going around and making a difference in his life. It's kind of a whole paying it forward sort of, you know, reciprocity lifestyle that I have. So you know, yeah. that way somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody else will do that for, for him or whatever, or hit yeah. somebody else will do that for somebody else. And so, But also reassuring him at, at a young age that it isn't all about the grades, you know, mm-hmm. that education is more than that. And it, it's the whole person, which is what you do in all of your work, not just, not just, you know, supporting your son, but supporting the other learners who you are working with in the school. Yeah. And, you know, I I was telling him that, like, it's better that you go out and you're doing a good job as being a good human being. Like, you know, and he, he will put himself down to help somebody out if they didn't have food or something. He'll give them his food. And, you know, and that's his way of restoring that balance in the world because he knew that you know, we came from a lifestyle where food was an issue, you know, and so he knows that generosity of lifestyle that, you know, if you give, if you give in this world, more of that will come back to you fourfold is kind of my teaching. Mm -hmm. So it's more like that whole developing um, a worldview for other people to see that, generosity in this world will go a lot further than being a disciplinarian so 
Absolutely. Gina, can I ask, um, are you working in a school with just Indigenous youth or is it a, a general population? I don't know if that's the term you would use, but... Yeah, it's it's a it's a mixed population with all uh, we have international students, uh, Canadian students and Indigenous students all together. But the programming that I create and I model is an all inclusive um, educational program because I feel like the more people that know about Indigenous worldview, they have more to you know um they they progress more you know and i think that lots of things that i i like to develop in learning is emotional health like emotional safety and you know like creating a world where people can know that i don't feel comfortable sharing that with you or like i don't feel safe to talk about that or I don't understand this. And so like, how do you get questions for them? Uh, how do you develop them to ask questions in, in a way that makes them feel safe? So really just teaching students how to use their own voice too, because it's not something that's a real regular occurrence and you never really pay attention to that, right? Yeah, and that, that builds cultural knowledge, um, not only within your own indigenous community, but then within the wider community, which I, I was reading an article um, just this week by Nicole Tucker Smith, and it was about the importance of representation and about if, if us white people are only seeing representations of our own skin color in our education, that that's going to impact us in, in our future, even in our careers. And she gave an example of, of the medical profession not being able to deal with her black hair. Um, so you're actually starting at a very early stage where this cultural representation is happening in a mixed classroom and everyone is learning together and off of each other. Um, and did you design for that as part of being a knowledge keeper or did this come from your social work background? Uh, it's more from my knowledge keeper um, point of view. Like I would think back in my grandfather's and my great grandparents era that, you know, we didn't have key terms like social worker or teacher or healthcare profession. We had words like which meant a doctor somebody who could take care of you and we had like somebody who were like to top it all, like people who did the thinking like the great thinking for the chiefs and stuff like that so people had roles immediately back then and I think that we kind of as we create this new generation that we need to bring back these these key terms and our protocols and the way that we think because our, our thinking the way that we feel and our emotions kind of come from the land right and so everything that you know it kind of it's a it, and I think that's one of the things like knowing that you're coming from whose territory you're on right you start thinking in that world view as well so and I, I know um, and I, I didn't say it in the, your introduction here but I know that your art and how you represent yourself through your art is actually rooted in 
one side of your, I don't want to say family, would it be one, one of your communities? Yeah. Um, my mom, uh, her nationality would be the Heshkwet, which is under the New Channels Nation. So there's 14 bands that create the New Channels Nation. And so um, I'm more kind of a hybrid between New Channels and Coast Salish art. My, my form line is more aimed towards Coast Salish because I feel more comfortable that way. But um, it, it definitely is, it's more distinctive than, than other nations like Kwakwala or, you know, Haida up in uh, the north. So like, it's way more different than, and I think that that comes from my, my DNA, right? That's like kind of imprinted on, on me. And that's kind of passed down through my genes and my genetics and having that ability to see things in a different way so yeah and you you so we've we've talked predominantly now about your role as a knowledge um keeper and as an educator and i i did talk about you using art with your students but you actually use art to share knowledge or and i'm not sure if knowledge is is, is even the right word but to share more about Indigenous cultures through your art as an adult, not as an educational tool. Can you talk a bit more about that? Um, definitely. I feel like art is like a form of oral history. Art tells the story of where you come from. My crests that I usually wear are usually Thunderbirds or um, Eagles because of my name is like the Eagle leaving the big nest. And so lots of the crests that we represent kind of align with our, our spirits. You know, like if you look at the grizzly bear and you look at the way that the grizzly bear kind of represents that courage and the brave and the protective nature. And, you know, and so, you know, our, our crests kind of came with the roles of the, the positions that you played in the community and you know I'm a real nurturer I take care of people and I help people along and I guide people and so like you'll kind of notice like my son Rafe he's kind of he's very much like the raven he's like the whole quirky kind of trickster person who who just wants to make you light-hearted all the time and his his energy is really kind of really brilliant because he's intelligent and he's inquisitive and he sees things differently than we do and so I often line him up with a raven when I'm looking for art that kind of represents my son and stuff like that and so my my other son he's more of the caretaker he's kind of more my emotional person who's who's kind of more grounded and he'll take care of me and feeding me and making sure I'm warm and like he'll like make sure that I got an Epsom salts foot bath and stuff when I'm doing my studies and so I feel like he's more like the grizzly bear who kind of comes in and takes care of you and makes sure you're you know really well put together and stuff like that and so you know and I feel like because of my my leadership role I really identify with the eagle and you know and I think that you kind of see these things and in people and you know and indigenous people they live by you know like even the frog crest some of the frog crests 
um, you look at them, that means they kind of live in two different worlds where I can identify with that, you know, being an Indigenous educator, you know, that I have to both live in the new tunnel traditional worldview and still be able to be able to see through the Canadian worldview as well so I feel like that's kind of an important thing it is and like you talked about inviting I have to say from from your art that I have seen you are actually drawn in um, by the color and by the shapes I didn't realize that there was this kind of character alignment with it as well so that you know it those things that people can learn about different communities is what actually makes society more inclusive and, and gives pride then to the work that is going on. Um, I think what you said about you having this hybrid approach and literally, I suppose you've got a foot in two worlds in, in a sense, don't you? Um, mm. Like there must be challenges and rewards to that in the journey that you're on to promote inclusion of Indigenous people? Mm -hmm. I feel like um, as I work to implement more Indigenous worldview, it's definitely bringing a lot of healing between, I would say specifically the Canadian and in, in New Channel of people are, well, Indigenous people, because I feel like it's kind of giving everybody the safe space to come and meet at the line and bring each other's conversations to the line and really work on some of that healing together. I feel like that's kind of been my biggest role in the world because we have a saying that's like, Hishuk Nish Zawak, we are all one, like everything is one, like the land, the earth, everything like we looked at the world and it was kind of like that whole conversation a little bit earlier where we're we're, we're doing that healing not just for ourselves mm -hmm. it's not going to just go into the future for our children and our grandchildren but it's also doing the good work for our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents because they never had that opportunity I live my life in a very opportunity way because I have the opportunity to share my culture and I get to share this generosity part of myself with the whole entire world, whoever I come in contact with all of the time. And I have to be on key all of the time because I feel like this representation as I walk through the world, I am representing Himayisaksup. I am a woman of the house of Himayis. And so that means I have to be this person all the time, just like my name, my name has been carried on by some very strong indigenous women. And that way they live through me. All of my work that I do, all of the healing that I do, I'm not just healing for myself, but I'm healing for my mom and my grandma and my great grandma and all of those experiences. And they're gonna celebrate, you know, they're celebrating in the spiritual world, you know, when I finish my master's, because how is it that they never had the opportunity to go and get educated and do all the things that I get to do so freely today that I get to drum and sing with my drum and dance and play my lahal fun games and, you know, all that kind of cool stuff, you know, I get to celebrate going for a walk on the land with my children and talk about traditional medicines with them. 
where my mother never had that liberty with me. You know, my mother died really young because of alcohol, because of residential school and all of that. So it's like, I get to heal all of that. And, you know, I get to make amends with that part of history and do it in a real forward manner where my children get to heal with me. Yeah, and again, it goes back to that impact and, and intent and unification. Like I know you talked about reunification, but even unification with the new as well as the old. Um, Gina, it's like, I, I could talk to you forever because every time I listen to you, first of all, you're so calming, you're so inviting. Um, and I feel that even where I'm not using the right language because I don't know the language that you can take that on board and you can help me through the process of trying to learn more about you and about your culture. And I really appreciate that. We are coming to the end of our conversation. So firstly, I'm going to ask you, do you have any resources for further independent learning that you would like to share with me and anyone else who is listening here? And if you tell me what they are now, I'll upload them along with the podcast when it's published. Oh, that's perfect. Um, well, I do have my own biography on my website on highpower.com. All of my links and things that I have worked through, people who wanna look at my art or see things that I've done, that's all on my website on highpower.com. Um, there's links into um, the website for my language revitalization program that I actually am part of and working for is the Heshquit language program. There's some toggles inside of there that kind of tell you um, the, the thing, the resources that we have and the things that we have done in the past. Um, it's really kind of incredible story that the Heshkot language program has been functioning for 12 years already and you know they're they're doing incredible things you know and I don't think that it's about language revitalization to like talk about the grammar of building words and stuff I think it's about you know having the conversations with the elders and bringing back the whole thought the thought patterns and the emotions and the feelings because language is a way of seeing the world. It's a way of feeling the world, smelling it and having all of the sensations inside of it and hearing the way that the wind kind of rolls up and down. And so I think that all those things are like brought through language so that, that those toggles are on my website. Uh, we do have like the nation that I belong to, the Newtonoth Nation. They have a newtonoth.org and it kind of shows you the whole governance structure of where my people come from and so I can have I can send you the links to those two that would and, be absolutely super and so for people in British Columbia there's like the whole first people's cultural council that kind of work with language revitalization and art and like culture and just building those things back up and they even have an area in the first people's cultural council for people who want to like create music and like do like digital music so like if you've ever heard of like a tribe called red or the the you know snotty nose res case and <laughs> stuff like that like they they all have a beginning right yeah. and so i think that that we all have a beginning too so i'll oh, send you those links too that would be super and just i have read your website 
Um, and I have to say it is so reflective and so honest. And going back to the word you have used so much tonight, it is so inviting. So I highly recommend that people click onto that link before you click anywhere else. Um, Gina, have you any final words that you would like to share with everyone before we finish up? Um, I just uh, I just wanted to reiterate, you know, um, we're creating generations of people. You know, the education system is creating, you know, safe space for our children, you know, emotionally and with mental health on the rise and like really paying attention through the whole COVID-19 pandemic, you know, really being aware of where people are at and meeting them in that place. And, you know, sometimes it's not about ourselves and sometimes we have to think about somebody else's you know, meeting them where they're at, you know, and just come to the line and, you know, open up that conversation and be real with each other, you know, and if you don't understand something, ask questions, find that safe person to have that conversation with. Because I, like, like I was saying with you earlier that, you know, you, you created that safe space for me, you know, and I wasn't really re ready for reflective practice and all of that, that, you even showed me how to take on a mistake and, you know, and just to be able to, to maneuver with it, to shift it in a really good way and shifting that balance of energy where I wasn't really there, where a mistake, you know, could have, you know, flattened me down for two weeks and, you know, I would have been like a complete mush of emotional pain. <laughs> And, you know, you, you carried me through that and it was really transformative. So I appreciate that with you and your approach of, you know, giving me a part of myself. So thank you. No, thank you for saying that. Um, but really, I, I do believe that I, I learned so much more from you. It was wonderful, the, the nine, ten weeks we spent together on that course. Um, and I'm hoping that we can continue the conversation and you might come back and do another podcast. Um, I, what I'd like to end with here is something you've just said there is just come to the line and if you don't know ask and again mm -hmm. it's that inviting and for for those of us who don't know we have to deal with our own biases and our own fears to be able to ask the question because if we don't ask you like you're not forcing your knowledge on us you're inviting us um, so we do need to start asking the question and we do need to start coming um, to the line. Uh, Gina, on that note, I'd like to say goodbye to everyone and thank everyone so much for joining myself and Gina for talking about all things inclusion. And I hope you will all join me again soon. Thank you again, Gina, for sharing with us tonight. Okay, thank you very much.